month, <clears throat> we spend time with a, ta- a doctrine or a spiritual theme, and this month's theme is truth. And it may be even more loaded than some of our earlier controversial ones, like prayer and salvation and grace. Truth is as sticky a problem as that bugaboo term, God, we wrestle with. Truth is an imperfect placeholder for a human ideal. Our family once had a neighbor whom many on the block considered cranky and odd. She had a really wicked temper. And one fall, she rakes every single one of her leaves over the property line onto the neighbor's yard. And then she sweeps all the ones from the street, into an enormous pile that spills out onto his yard and the curb, but stops right at her line. The pile covered half the street. Cars had to go around it. And she explains to the unbelieving family, these leaves are clearly from your sycamore tree. (laughs) I don't have a sycamore tree. You take care of them. Indeed, what she says is true. Their huge sycamore drops thousands of leaves onto her lawn and our lawn and everyone's lawn. Although, if she wants... She can confirm her hypothesis with genetic testing. (laughs) She can prove the leaves in her yard come only from her next-door neighbor. A truth born of scientific method might bolster her argument. Science verifies our perceptions of reality. Observations and experimentation scrutinized by a community devoted to the same intellectual integrity and ideals have taken humanity exceptionally far. Science, math, logic have produced an ever-growing list of truths about both the seen and the unseen. And they also continue to dispel half those truths. Although, our grouchy neighbor neglected one of the most basic tenets of science. Tenets. Her data pool was too small. With additional results... She may be reminded there are many sycamores on our block. Fall in Oklahoma is really windy and leaves blow everywhere. She's likely to have found a dozen different sycamore trees were the cause of the leaves in her yard. 
So the validity of her truth was narrowed, sorely narrowed, by her limited vision. Although, she could still take action. She could sort through her leaves (laughs) and deliver them to the offending family's yards. (laughs) And I can almost see her doing that. It's not uncommon for all of us to forget the unavoidable limitations of our own perceptions and realities. The immediacy of our five senses are so potent, so strong, that it's natural for us to fully trust them. They deliver such a tangible world of smells and sights and touch and sounds. Yet the five senses perceive illusions as real. We talk about the sun rising and the sun setting, but that's not true. Films are just a series of still images, one after the other, but we imagine it's moving. So there are so many other illusions that enough enough illusions, enough fault illusions to make reliance on our five senses, solely on our five senses, a little shaky. But then the rational mind steps in to help untangle the illusory from the factual. And it was its reason that gives rise to science with its data and measurements and explanatory models. Its success for measuring the physical world is good enough to tempt many people into believing it is the ultimate way of knowing reality. But reason is less helpful with our inner world. The rational mind cannot know where an idea comes from, much less the source of creativity or emotions, or insight, or beauty, or love, or imagination. All these aspects of the mind have not been explained objectively, despite the hopes of neuroscience. As one scientist puts it, the brain functions like a radio delivering the music of the mind, as it were. As you dissect it, you can delve very deeply into the brain's physical structure. However, just as the reality of music eludes anyone who tries to find it inside a radio, the nature of the mind will elude anyone who tries to find it inside the brain. So I'm making the case that our five senses, our power of reasoning, and even the potent scientific method are limited in the truths they tell. I'm not saying they're not important. They cannot always predict 
or confirm reality when it comes from our hearts or from our imagination. We experience truths beyond material reality. These are the truths we are frequently exploring together here at Hope. We are the community devoted to jointly examining the realities of our hearts and imagination. So Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard called these other truths subjective. Subjective truths. They are distinct from objective truths, distinct from the outcomes of reason and science. While objective facts are very important, subjective facts may be even more crucial to the truth. They involve how we respond to facts. A subjective truth in my cranky neighbor's situation is her very malicious creativity. I still giggle when I picture each brisk stroke of her rake powered by the gusto of self-righteousness and desire for revenge. She probably got her yard cleared in half the time. And I'll admit, I've sent and received emails powered by this same self-justified certainty. And I won't tell you the countless arguments we've had in our family that have been unhelpful because we knew we were right. So another subjective truth of my neighbor lies in her being overwhelmed by a yard full of dinner plate-sized leaves that indeed are difficult to rake and bag. Her response to this problem, her response to her truth, is hostility. She ignores other possible outcomes. She could. She could have asked for help. She could have hired a yard crew. She could have asked some neighborhood teenager and paid a pittance to get her yard inexpensively cleaned up. And she ignores one other very critical subjective truth. There is great value in being a good neighbor, in being kind. Last week, I had two different people tell me they had worked hard in their lives to develop the capacity to be frank and honest in their adult lives. Both explained being nice or kind were not factors in their truth-telling skills. And I heard in their stories a sincere struggle to mature and develop a valid self-worth. But I also heard a mistaken notion that it's okay for the truth to be a bludgeon. Truth becomes the higher virtue 
It feels satisfying to be right. It can feel empowering. But putting truth against kindness creates a false dichotomy. They are not opposites. They are intimately related because the actions we take arise from what we believe to be true and from the size of our data pool. Buddhist traditions can be of help here in knowing how and when to speak the truth. The Buddha reportedly explains right or wise speech. Obviously, wise speech involves telling the truth. But then the Buddha goes on to qualify truthfulness by saying it must also be timely, gentle, motivated by kindness, and helpful. So consider using his adjectives as a checklist before speaking to anyone or typing out a text or an email. From time to time, I keep the list nearby as a prompt for my own conversations, and I can tell I've gotten sloppy lately. And it's time to pull them back out because when I follow them as a discipline, they dramatically limit when I speak, and what I have to say. But these boundaries on speech make what I do say even more truthful and effective. So let's look at what wise, timely speech might be. Often my notion of what is true and necessary is driven by my personal time frame, Ask my husband, Joe, how many times I've blurted out what seems like critical information just as he's fallen asleep. (laughs) Have you ever followed someone trying to tell them something when they're busy? Or have you felt compelled to tell a fact when the other person is not ready to hear the truth? These are examples of unwise speech because they are not spoken at the right time. As the Buddha advises, our speech must be gentle and motivated by kindness. This is not easy, but I understand the impact of truth motivated by revenge or anger. The outcome is often painful and leads to unnecessary problems and leads to the opposite desired results most of the time. The Buddha's last suggestion, truth must be helpful, is the hardest for me. In a world filled with spin and misdirection and outright lies, wouldn't telling the truth Always be helpful, right? But helpful for whom? Sometimes my impulse to tell the truth embarrassingly 
is more helpful to me than the other person. I want to get something off my chest. Or I'm motivated because I want you to know how smart I am when I'm feeling insecure. Although at the opposite end of the scale, telling the truth from a noble desire to help, fix things, solve injustice, comes from a deep impulse to contribute to the betterment of things. But even then, being truly helpful may not entail speaking at all. The most helpful action might be to listen carefully and hold heartedly. My point is, what we do with the truth matters as much as the truth itself. I love that Sojourner Truth named herself Sojourner Truth. She had found truth, but also knew truth was a journey. With my neighbor's version of the truth, she managed to alienate the whole block. Her speech, as well as her actions, lacked all of the Buddha's guidelines. So when we talk to each other about the latest headlines or news about someone or personal beliefs or experiences, no matter the truth we imagine we are speaking, may we consider wise speech. Ask yourself before saying anything or tapping on a keyboard, is this truthful? Is this the right time? Is it gentle, kind, helpful? If it doesn't pass all five tests, keep your truths to yourself. May it be so.